Warning, the following presentation is intended for mature audiences and it contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and their guests and every effort is made to ensure that the information is accurate. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome fellow armchair detectives. I'm your host, Ashley Boitis. And I'm your host, Tamlin Rousseau. And And this this is Just in Crime. Join us as we explore the issue of gender-based violence and femicide in South Africa. By exploring the victims and their stories. Okay, so before we get into today's episode, I would just like to give an official welcome to the first episode of Just in Crime. I am so excited that we finally got around to starting this podcast. We've been wanting to do this for ages. And I mean, we are both super major fans of um, true crime. And I think the issue of gender-based violence and femicide is one that's really growing in severity and we need to speak about it. And the more people that are speaking about it, the better. I guess you can say this is kind of just our little passion project. Like in no way are we licensed psychiatrists or psychologists or people who do like law things. We are just kind of like two girls who are trying to make a difference. So without any further ado, let's get into today's case. 19-year-old Uyunene Merichwana was a young girl whose life seemed to be full of promise before one fatal day when she made an innocent trip to the post office. Follow along as we hear the story about a girl whose murder ignited the nation. This is the case of Uyunene Merichwana. 19-year-old Uyunene was born and raised in the Eastern Cape in the beautiful residential area of Beacon Bay with her small family of four, consisting of her mother, father, and brother. They were a very close and very private family and would go on to describe Nene as someone who only knew love. Uyunene was said to have really shown a big interest in school and learning from a young age, and once she matriculated from Kingswood College, had decided to follow her brother's footsteps and attended the University of Cape Town, where she would begin her first year studying a Bachelor of Arts majoring in film, media, politics, and governance. However, while she may have been studying that, her real interests were really in fashion. And while this might not have been directly linked into what she was studying, she would have loved to have moved into that industry. And also, just like a bit of a side note, I went to go look at like Instagram photos and pictures of her. And she is very, very fashionable, like super trendy, um, definitely like ready for the gram. Very, very beautiful girl. So... At UCT, people would go on to describe Nene as someone who's just being full of love and radiates good and positive energy. 
She stayed in a student accommodation named Roscommon, and she eventually became quite well known around campus. However, as most people would, she grew a close group of friends um, in which she would confide in and, like I said, just grow very, very close bonds with. So, fast forward to the 8th of August, 2019. Nene is about three quarters of her way into her first year, and her love for fashion has led her to buy some clothes online that was meant to be delivered at the post office. Nene went to the Clermont Clarenrinch post office, where she came to inquire if the parcel containing her new clothes had arrived. I feel it's really important to mention at this point that the post office is located within walking distance of a police station, and so it should be considered a fairly safe area. Once she entered the post office, it is there she would meet 42-year-old post office worker, Luyanda Buerta. Luyanda Buerta is a 42-year-old man who lives in Kailicha. The people around him say he's not really someone who stands out. He's not overly friendly, but does not come off as cold at all. And very few, including the people who worked with him, were unaware of his past. Luyanda has a previous criminal history in which he had spent five of an eight-year sentence for hijacking. He also had some previous allegations of sexual assault, but the case did not make it to court. Other than this, though, Luyanda seemed to live a fairly normal life. So, wait, I just need to know, usually when you're like applying for a job and stuff, don't they do like background checks and also, especially since this is like a government institution. Exactly. And I think that's also why this case got such big um, media publicity and so many people were also interested in it is because all these precautions should have been in place. I mean, let's be honest. What if you're in prison for theft and now you're working at the post office with everyone's items? Like, I mean, it's a bit risky. So I feel like all these things should have been checked before. But I mean, it wasn't. But we move on. So at this point, the parcel that Nene had ordered had not arrived. And honestly, this is very, very normal um, as the post offices in South Africa are generally problematic. So she really didn't suspect anything when Leander said he would contact her later when it had arrived. The parcel arrived at the post office eight days later, which would be the 16th of August. And Leander registered it that day. However, Nene was not contacted. So, once again, fast forward to a week later, Saturday, the 24th of August. Leander Buerta came into work as usual that day, and at some point during his shift made an agreement with his co-worker that he would take on the responsibility of locking up the store. And like, dude, I've been stuck with the responsibility of locking up, and it's absolutely trash. Like, I hate it, so I would have wanted to get rid of that responsibility as quickly as possible. And so, naturally, his co-worker agreed. The day carried on as usual until about one o'clock, when the post office was scheduled to close. At this point, the co-worker left the post office and went home as per their agreement, leaving Leander completely alone. Leander then contacted Nene to inform her that her parcel was ready. She then called a Taxify, which is a taxi service similar to Uber, that picked her up from her res and drove her to the post office. CCTV footage from the store across the street managed to film her at approximately four minutes past two, getting out of her car, looking at her phone briefly before making her way across the street. So wait, was the actual footage of the post office on there? No, so the CCTV... 
CCTV footage wasn't for the post office. It was actually for the store opposite it. So it viewed their front store. But you could still kind of see like the post office from there. But I mean, why aren't there cameras at the post office? It's a government institution. Surely we'd want it to be monitored like all the time ASAP. Okay, cool. So Nene arrives and Luanda opens the door and lets her in. Once she entered the post office, he locks the door behind her, and honestly, everything seemed pretty normal. At this point, we can assume that she's unaware that the building was deserted, because I think if she knew that, obviously she wouldn't have gone in. As they're going through the transaction and she starts to go through her purse to pay for the customs fee, Leander starts to flirt with her and makes all sorts of sexual advances. She apparently just brushes this off and kind of ignores him, but is very clearly uncomfortable with the whole thing. It is at this point that things take a turn for the worst, and he grabs her waist and forcefully pulls her towards him. He then proceeds to sexually violate and rape her. And I mean, like personally, I honestly wish that the story could stop there and we could just move on because that in itself is bad enough, but we know, unfortunately, this isn't the case. Uyunene does not take the situation lying down. She puts up a massive fight and eventually manages to fight him off. She sprints towards the door. And as she gets there, dude, guess what? What? It is literally 100% locked. I can't even imagine the emotion she had to be feeling at that moment. Her blood must have absolutely run cold. Dude, I can only imagine. Like, I think for some moments she had, like, just a little bit of hope that she could get out of the situation, but that hope fades as quickly as it came. Leander manages to knock her down to the ground and continues to rape her. He then drags her body across the post office floor and puts her into one of the empty safes. I'm assuming this has to be quite a big safe because her whole body was shoved in there. Once she's inside the safe, he attempts to strangle her to death, but she is still fighting him. He eventually gives up and grabs a two kg weight that he then uses to bludgeon her, specifically aiming for her head until he knew that she was dead. So, He then left the post office after this has all gone down and went by to a nearby liquor outlet where he kind of stood outside and just started to drink. He said he did this because he felt very overwhelmed with the situation, but I mean, who wouldn't be if they just murdered someone in a government institution at the place of their work and all the DNA is just left there? So he then returned to the scene of the crime and covered her body with pillows, blankets, and a jacket. He then left and retired home for the evening. So not to sound rude, but I don't know if he's ballsy or just very stupid, but like, why would you leave an entire body somewhere for anyone to find with all of your DNA? I know, right? Like, dude, that is honestly the strangest thing. Or like, like you said, it's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Like, that's insane. But um, luckily for him, no one came back and he wasn't caught. And when he came back the next morning to the scene of the crime in the early hours, he cleaned up all the blood that was obviously everywhere until the place looked like it was back to normal. 
When he finishes cleaning up, he makes his way outside and asks a local security guard if he could park his car at the back because he had a lot of mail that he needed to put into. And I just want to clarify here, when I say local security guard, I don't think it's an actual security guard. I think it might actually just be a car guard. So he straight up probably didn't even suspect anything. I mean, it's a bit not part of his job description. So once he parks his car, he places the body into a large mail bag and he throws it into the back seat of his car. He then drove to a nearby field that was next to some abandoned railway tracks and dumped the body in a shallow grave. Leander then goes to a nearby petrol station, purchases some petrol in a bottle and returns to the grave where he doused her body in petrol before setting it alight in the hopes of destroying any evidence that may link him to it. So, dude, tell me, would you be concerned if I did not reply to, like, your message for one day? I would not be surprised at all because I myself don't always reply to messages and everyone lives their own lives. So to answer your question, no, I wouldn't be concerned. Exactly. So when Nene did not return home that evening, her friends were not really concerned and they didn't think too much into it. But by the next morning, her brother had made a few calls to her friends stating that she had not answered any of his calls and that when he had sent her messages on like WhatsApp, it was only coming up with one tick. And I mean, we all know that that's very suspicious. It was then that concerns started to grow as it was very out of her character to just disappear without giving anyone any notice. And he immediately went to go report it to the police. When they had not heard from Nene in 48 hours, her parents flew up to Cape Town to join her brother in the search. It was at this point that friends and UCT students started posting Nene's picture on every social media platform, handing out flyers and speaking to journalists from various news platforms in the hopes that even if they couldn't find her, that someone would know someone who at least knew where she had disappeared to. It was really her mother, however, that essentially kick-started the investigation when she turned to her husband and said, let's just go to the post office. Like, that's the last place she was seen. So, once she arrived at the post office, she announced out loud, I am the mother of the child who was last seen in this post office. Now, could the person who had actually been serving her please identify himself? And dude, like, how hectic is that? That is absolutely insane. Like, if I were him, I would be freaking out. I think he was, but he did put up his hand and he told Nene's parents that he was the one who served their daughter. They were then led into the manager's office so they could speak in private about the situation. While Leander did admit to having served her and asking her to come back later, he did, however, not admit to harming her at all. However, this was enough for her parents to hear, and they went to the police station, which again is located directly next to the post office, and they informed them about this new development in the case. While the search for Nene was happening, the police department started their own investigation. They started to look into different technology and databases of missing students in an attempt to try and track her. They also looked at the CCTV footage that I'd mentioned before, and they went to go speak to surrounding police stations and co-workers to help further the investigation. A DNA sample for Nene was also collected for comparison at this point. However, and luckily, the parents didn't need to wait long. And on the same day, 
Monday, the 26th of August, 2019, as police were conducting their routine patrol, they came across the remains of Nene's body, which was then taken to Tigerberg Mortuary. At this point, the severity of the issue had settled into the reality for many people, both close to Nene, as well as those who had only heard of her disappearance. The Minister of Police, Behi Kele, put together a high-level task force who would work closely with the family's private investigator to find the person who had committed these crimes. The investigation was very quick and very vigorous, and Luyanda was very quickly identified as the primary suspect. Five days later, a police officer identified Luyanda while driving around and brought him in for questioning. Soon into questioning, he confessed to the crime and was charged with the murder, rape, and defeating the ends of justice and was set to return to court later that year. Now, understand that news of Nene's disappearance had gone viral within hours of her going missing. And so once news broke about the arrest of Luyanda for the rape and murder of Uyunene Merichwana, a wave of emotion hit our nation. For many South Africans, the protests that would follow would have women around the country asking, am I next? And if a woman can't even go to the post office, then where is she safe? This was the questions that filled the minds of many South Africans. Filled with emotion, protesters turned to police and demanded to know what was going to be done about the clear pandemic going on. A statement by our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, was made and read the following, and I'm going to ask Tam to read this for us. We are reviewing laws on sexual offences to prioritise the needs of survivors. We are going to overhaul the National Registry of Sexual Offenders. It will list all the men who are convicted of violence against women and children. The assaults, rapes and murders of South African women are a stain on our national conscience. We have just commemorated Women's Month, 63 years after the women of 1956 marched for the right to live in freedom. Women in this country live in fear, not of the apartheid police, but of their brothers, sons, fathers and uncles. We should all hang our heads in shame. The president then went on to say that he promised swift action would be taken place to make sure that, among others, sexual offence cases that were not properly closed or properly investigated would be reviewed. He also went on to say that they would impose harsher sentences on perpetrators of violent acts against women. Before we jump into the court proceedings, we just want to say be sure to check out our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Just in Crime SA for more episodes, case-related content, updates, and other riveting content. Also, always keep in mind, we are not professionals in any of these discussed fields. If you or anyone you know is in danger, you can find resources on our social media pages, or alternatively, you can contact the Gender-Based Violence Command Center at 0800-428-428 or SMS HELP to 31531. On the 7th of November, 2019, Leander Buerta made his way into a tension-filled courtroom, dressed in a black hoodie in an attempt to conceal his face. In the court, the following was revealed. The post-mortem examination conducted on the body of the deceased determined that the cause of death was head injury and consequences thereof. The manner of death is therefore unnatural. 
The state alleged that the accused is responsible for the rape and murder of the deceased and defeated or obstructed the administration of justice by disposing of her body and setting it alight. The accused also had his car cleaned in attempt to destroy any forensic evidence. The report of the investigation has revealed that Luyanda is liable for four charges, two counts of rape, murder, and defeating the ends of justice. On the 15th of November, 2019, the jury in the Western Cape High Court gave their verdict on the case. Luyanda pled guilty for the killing and raping of a Yunene. The judge declared that he would serve a life sentence for the murder, two life sentences for the two counts of rape that he was charged with, and five more years for defeating the ends of justice. The court went on to further elaborate that these life sentences would run concurrently. The judge stated that Luyanda would not be eligible for parole during this time that he'd be serving the sentence. However, many people do not feel that the sentence was harsh enough and it started to kind of stir up conversations about the death penalty. So Tam, just quickly jump in, give us your opinion. What is your views on the death penalty? <laughs> um, that's a very good question. So obviously killing people isn't like right in any way, shape or form. But sometimes people do such terrible things that we just kind of want to say like an eye for an eye. Um, so yeah, I just kind of think killing people is morally wrong. And there's actually a quote that I read that says, um, we kill people who kill people because killing people is wrong. So yes, I I don't think the death penalty should be a thing, but in cases like this, I definitely do reconsider. I mean, I don't think I could have said it better myself. However, regardless of this, um, many have gone out of their way to ensure that Nene's name is never forgotten. Uyu Nene has basically become the poster image for the Am I Next movement and represents the renewed effort to prioritize the safety and well-being of women in South Africa. The University of Cape Town has also dedicated a scholarship to her called the Uyunene Merichwana Scholarship for Women in Humanities, and her family has established a gender-based violence foundation in remembrance of her. Uyunene was one of the many women who have fallen victim to such terrible crimes. Okay, so Tam, what did you think of this case? I think this was a very, very tragic and extremely heartbreaking case because this girl had to suffer to this extent and just face so much brutality. And essentially, she was the sacrificial lamb for the Am I Next movement. But I don't think that movement should have been created in the first place because women shouldn't be scared of kill being killed. Exactly. Like, it definitely shouldn't be an issue. And as you said, like, the whole thing is awful and it's just really, really unfair. And I think two things I just want to touch on is the first thing, the reason why this case stood out so hectically, I think, to many South African women is that such brutality only usually occurs um, with an intimate partner violence and it's usually fueled by a lot of anger. So there's a relationship between the two parties, whereas here it was someone she couldn't have prevented herself from running into. It was completely unexpected. And like we said, it's a complete stranger. So to see that level of brutality within a killing like this is honestly quite, I guess you could say, unique to its situation, but not unique to South Africa. And also the second point I just wanted to touch on was, you know, the sentencing. 
Yes. So I don't know if you heard me say that the sentences are running concurrently. Yes, I did. So just something that I learned the other day with concurrently and consistently. So it turns out that concurrently is actually the opposite of consistently. And I know that most criminals or offenders rather tend to, their sentences run concurrently. So concurrently means that they run at the same time. So for example, he got, um, a count, he got life for 25 years for the murder and then two counts for the two counts of rape. But that would be only 25 years spent in total. If that makes sense, it wouldn't be 50. That's consistently, which also just outrages me. I feel like it should have been like consistently, like he should spend the rest of his life in jail. Yes, you don't get to brutally murder someone the way he did and then just kind of get off with the sentence that he got. Exactly. I think for many women in South Africa, this situation essentially acted as a kind of dress rehearsal for the potential danger um, that they may find themselves in. Um, But yeah, all in all, this case is just heartbreaking. It's sad. It's tragic. And I mean, we're a year in. I haven't seen any process or any progress done for um, working towards ending gender-based violence in terms of from the government. So yeah, I guess we can only hope that we keep remembering her name and that, yeah, we never forget what she died for. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to check out our social media for more episodes, case-related content and other riveting info. We'd also like to give a massive shout out to Christian Putter for creating our theme song. Be sure to check out more of his work on Instagram at Christian underscore Putter. And then we would also just like to thank Anthony Catano for creating our album art. So be sure to follow him at Ant Catano on Instagram. And lastly, we'd like to give a huge shout out to VU Media for helping produce this podcast. Be sure to follow them on Facebook and Insta at VU underscore Media SA. 